Good. Well, we're in our series um, today on um, Spotlight, where we're looking at different characteristics, different attributes of God. And um, it's been a great series so far. I hope, hope you're finding it so. Um, just while I'm wittering on, would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew 5, because that's where we're going to be today. Um, very well-known verses. Um, Matthew 5 and 43, I think, towards the end. Yeah, verse 43. Verse 43. Terrific. Okay. Good. So we're going to look at the love of God today. Um, that's, the, that's where we're up to in our little series. And it's, um, I've got to say, kind of the disclaimer, no way are we going to cover the love of God today. How can you possibly do that in 35 minutes or so? It's just not feasible, is it? So I'm just going to cherry pick a few things about the love of God. I do hope that this lands with you. And that, um, well, two things really. One is that you get more of an appreciation of the love of God for you, that you feel more of the love of God, that you sense more of the love of God. You're aware of it and you're more grateful for it. And two, that you're empowered more with the love of God as a result of what God shares today in his word. So let's have a look at these verses. We're going to read Matthew 5, verse 43. So, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends his reign on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than any others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let me just pray. Lord, we want to thank you for your amazing word in our lives, Lord. We cherish the word of God. And uh, Lord, we don't take it lightly, Lord, but we want to receive it as, as just that, the word of God in our lives. And uh, Lord, I pray you'd help us just to, just to feed on this this morning. We need to be sustained by your word, Lord. We need to grow. Uh, we need to be healthy. We need to be alive in your word. So feed us, Lord, by your word. Lord, would you teach us by your Holy Spirit this morning? Change us, Lord. We want to be more like Jesus. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen. Very good. So, um, love your neighbor. I think, you know, most people generally would subscribe to that command, wouldn't they? Love your neighbor. Um, it's one of the best, uh, best known bits of the Bible, love your neighbor. It's one of those bits that's kind of transferred over into kind of popular culture. You think of uh, love your neighbor, um, go the extra mile, turn the other cheek, uh, be a good Samaritan. All these things are kind of, they're relatively digestible. And I think society at large would say, yeah, that, that's all good stuff. I, I like that. You sometimes meet these people, don't you, that say, yeah, Jesus, he was a great guy, wasn't he? He's a good moral teacher. I don't, I don't subscribe to all he said, but he was a good moral teacher. I like that bit. And, and I think um, love your neighbor kind of sits quite well in there. It, it appeals to our sense of decency. You know, we think we're decent people. We're going to love our neighbors. That's what we do. Um, it's interesting, actually. Um, Jesus, Jesus was speaking about 2,000 years ago, wasn't he, when, when this was written? Well, 1,500 years before that, the book of Leviticus was written, and it's one of the um, first books of the Bible. And, and in Leviticus 19, it actually deals with this, with this bit, of, um, bit of text. It says, um, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
I am the Lord. That's Leviticus 19, verse 18. It doesn't say, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So that's kind of interesting. They think, oh, what's going on there? And um, it appears that what was written in the Old Testament, and these guys had the Old Testament, they had these scriptures the first five books of the Bible in particular. They had these scriptures, so they knew what the scripture said, but you've heard it said, leave your neighbor and hate your enemy, what's going on? Well, I think at least two things you can think of are happening there. Why would people misrepresent God's word like that? Why would people twist scripture? Why would they misinterpret it like that? One, it's hard. (laughs) It's hard to do what scripture says. So we're humans, I'm only human, give me a break, you know, it's a bit hard. I'm gonna tweak that to make it a bit easier to obey. That would be one motivation. I think another thing to say is that um, the culture at the time was, um, the concept of neighbor meant really somebody who was like in the line of Abraham, somebody who was circumcised. So that's what they understood to be their neighbors. And there was a huge national identity thing um, prevalent at the time. And so neighbors were us, people that were circumcised, people in the line of Abraham. Gentiles, everybody else was, was the enemy. They, they drew a ring around who they were and said, well, that's us, that's our neighbor. Those guys are our enemies. So they've, they've taken God's word and they've adapted it to their prevailing culture. And that's so you go, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. That clause has been, that's the kind of adaption to the prevailing culture. And now, we think of ourselves as quite enlightened, don't we? We think, yeah, you know, much, much wiser. 2,000 years, we've learned a lot. And I think, you know, prevailing society would say, we are at the pinnacle of human understanding. You know, there's a, there's a kind of, I think there's a smugness and an arrogance in society at the moment that says, this is the yardstick of true, and we can see everything much more clearly than anybody else did. So, you know, we're never gonna do a thing like take a scripture and twist it to accommodate the prevailing culture, are we? Well, you can see where this is going, can't you? (laughs) Because I'm going to say I think we do. I think we do exactly that. I think when you go, yeah, Jesus, great moral teacher, but I'm not going to subscribe to everything he said. (laughs) I've got a much clearer lens than that. I'm going to take the good bits, and I'm just going to kind of marginalize the rest. I think what we do is we, we neuter the words of Jesus. We take the words of God, and we bleed them of their intent and their power. We, we take the power out of the word and we, we create these little fluffy sound bites that, that, we're, that we're comfortable with, but fundamentally we're changing what God says, I think. So that's a pretty radical accusation. So let's kind of unpack that. Why do I, why do I say that today? I'm gonna look at some characteristics of the love of God from this passage. Hopefully that helps illustrate this point. So the first one would be, the love of God is supernatural. Now, Jesus concedes that there are other types of love available, like they say on the BBC. You see, he says, um, God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. If you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? So he's saying, look, there is a love that the tax collectors and the Gentiles would recognize and acknowledge and value. 
why tax collectors and Gentiles? They're kind of icons for um, types of people. So the tax collectors, they're, they're Jews who've gone over and worked for the Romans. They take the tax from the Jews. They siphon some of it in their trouser, and they give the rest to the Jews. So they're baddies. They're, it's an icon for people that aren't very good. That's what that means. And then Gentiles, they're the people outside of the people of God. They don't even know the God of the Bible. So that's an icon for people that don't know God. So Jesus is saying, Look, let's just take these two archetypes. Even these people know how to love. Jesus is acknowledging there is a love that's out there that's, that's prevalent and we all know about. He's not sort of gainsaying that. And you know, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I think we'd all acknowledge that, I mean, do you know anybody that can't love? You don't, do you? Because people can love. Even the most evil of us, I think, could, could love. And that, that makes sense. That stands to reason. Because if we're made in the image of God, there is something of our Heavenly Father in each of us. And I would say that there's something of God's love in us, whether we acknowledge our Father or not. So we, we know about love. We know about community. There's that kind of trace of God in each of us, I'd say. So there's nothing unusual or extraordinary about the fact that we can love. I would say that's a common human trait. But I think Jesus is calling us to something extraordinary. He's not calling us to that lowest common denominator love. Just before this section, this is in a section on, um, this, the, the, these verses are in uh, what, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And um, Jesus says five times, I think, you've heard it said this, I say that. Before that, in verse 20, chapter five, verse 20, he says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's saying, unless you are good in a way that even the professional good people aren't good, unless your righteousness exceeds those, you're never going to get into heaven. That common or garden love is not the, the goal that Jesus is, is talking about. He's talking about something more extraordinary. And then at the end of our little passage that we read, in verse 48, it says, therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wow, that's a bit of a kicker, isn't it, really? That's quite tough. I find, if ever, I listen to my preachers, which I don't really, after I've done them, I sniff a lot. So I brought a hanky. I apologize if I sniff a lot. You might want to turn this down while I have a little blow. <laughs> Sorry. You can tell I don't do this for a living, can't you? <clears throat> um, so what Jesus understands by love is not this lowest common denominator. You know, of everybody I know, I've got lovely friends and lovely family and lovely colleagues, but those guys that aren't Christians, I, I've got to say, their righteousness does not exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. And those guys are not perfect as God is perfect. I don't see that love when I look around me. Jesus is calling me to a higher standard. Jesus is calling you to a higher standard than that, which I think is a real challenge. There's a difference. We, need to, we do need to distinguish between this, what I would say is natural love and this unnatural love. Natural love is, is kind of fleshly. It's, 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 it's intrinsic in who I, who I am as a human because I'm made in the image of God. I, I love, but that's not a love that's empowered by God, I would say. So what does this love that's empowered by God look like? And what, what, what is that all about? Let's look at some, some other verses. Let's flip forward to Galatians 5. Um, 
It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. So this is a letter to the Galatian church. It's addressing Christians and it's acknowledging that we are human and we are flesh. But when you become a Christian, God gives you a new heart, the Bible says. And, and so the Holy Spirit is in you. There is now a contrast. I've got two kinds of love in me. I've got what was natural and just I was born with this because I'm a child of God. But God's given me his Holy Spirit. God's given me this supernatural love. And if you're a Christian, that's true of each one of us. God's given you a supernatural love. But Galatians says they are opposite. They are not the same thing. And if I tune in to the love of the flesh, my natural love, that's at odds with the love that the Holy Spirit puts in me, which is a real challenge. We're going to kind of open this up a bit more. In verse 22 in Galatians 5, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things things there's no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. So the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's where we get that supernatural love from, the fruit of the Spirit. God puts a new heart in our lives. God gives us the Holy Spirit. And that's where we can access this supernatural love. As a Christian, you are not the same as you were before. That's the truth. As a Christian, you have a new heart in you. As a Christian, you have supernatural love in your heart that is fundamentally different from all that you had before. God's placed that there by his Holy Spirit. It's supernatural love. By definition, it's extraordinary, it's supernatural. It's unlike the love you had before. And it's proof of your adoption. We were were looking at that video about um, adoption. It's proof of your adoption as a child into God's family. That's what it means in verse um, 45. Um, I'll just read back on that. It says, um, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Um, now, what that means is it, it doesn't mean um, be good in order that you may be a son of God. It doesn't mean fulfill these conditions in order that you can be God's child. It, it's kind of the other way around. It says you are God's child, and a proof point of that is this love that you can now demonstrate and this love that you can now live in. It's not a, it's not a precondition. It's a, it's a proof point. It's an evidence so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. It's evidence that you're a child of God. So this, this supernatural, miraculous love that God gives you is, is evidence that you're a follower of Christ. So, you see, when Jesus says, love your neighbor, these words can mean something so benign and unsurprising and acceptable and easy and empty of power. Yeah, they're actually capturing something that's so remarkable. It should take the world by surprise. It should be completely other compared to the kind of the lowest common denominator love that we tend to see. So the truth is that God's love for you is supernatural. 
So you, as a Christian, you as a non-Christian, can just be in the love of God that is supernatural, unlike any other love. But also the love he has placed in your heart is also supernatural. Quite different from the other kind of love that we talked about. So that would be be the first point. God's love is supernatural. My second point would be God's love breaks through boundaries. I got a a message this week from uh, my best friend from school, Steve. He lives up in Manchester. He was gonna be in London overnight. Did I wanna go out for a beer? Oh yes. (laughs) So um, we met in London. Um, I've not seen him for, I can't think, 18 months or something like that maybe. So we had a lot to catch up on. Um, Steve and I met at school we were both um, pretty obsessive about the Beatles. Um, we both played the guitar, so we learned all the Beatles songs, we started playing them together. We started doing um, acoustic gigs together, just playing around, and that was good. Um, we then got a punk band together, Ormskirk's first punk band called The Spoons. You've you probably heard of them. And um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, not difficult. Um, and uh, I played bass, he played guitar, it was great, we had a fantastic time, and then we moved on. And then Steve got married. Um, interestingly, Steve married my first girlfriend, who happens to be Belinda's oldest school friend, which is all a bit weird. And then I get to be their best man, which is marvellous. We get married, he gets to be our best man. They have a child, Chris, we get to be godparents. Um, it's like an episode of Friends, isn't it? And, um, and then fast forward, you know, over the years, he happens to get really into photography, I'm really into photography. Steve and I are very, very similar. He's carrying a few extra pounds, I'm carrying a few extra pounds. You know, we are remarkably similar, we've got so much in common, we can, we can talk effortlessly for hours and hours and hours. He's a lovely guy, everyone would say that. But I think he and I, in particular, are so similar that that friendship was always gonna be. And um, I was reflecting, because we do warm to people who are like us, don't we, I think. That's just a natural thing. We do, oh, you like that, I like that, oh, you like that, oh, I like that. He supports Liverpool, I support Liverpool. You know, everything that you can think of we, we seem to have in common. Our natural tendency is to define our neighbours as those people who are a bit like us, because that's an easy thing to do, isn't it? People who are similar to us, you know, maybe in terms of their worldview, in terms of their sense of humour, in terms of their interests, in terms of their politics, whatever it is, you know, we all do it, I think, to some extent. If you go back to kind of the, the time when um, Jesus was on the earth, the first century, the UK was made up of tribes. It was, there was like, you know, dozens of different tribes around the UK, and you were either in this tribe or you were in that tribe. And this tribe, you know, these guys all had red hair. Um, This tribe, these were all very tall. Uh, This tribe were all farmers. This tribe had coins. So there there were kind of characteristics and differences. You were either in or you were out. And I I think today it's not dissimilar, really. We still are pretty tribal. Um, You know, you go to a football match, you watch the World Cup, we're pretty tribal there, aren't we? You go to a pop concert, there's an identity, there's a tribe at a pop concert. You get on the train, you go to the city on a Monday morning, there's a tribe going to work. So we, we do this thing where we're, where we're quite tribal, I think. We tend to gravitate towards, the, the, towards those that are like us. And therefore, we tend to not align ourselves with those that are unlike us, I think. But Jesus cuts across those boundaries, I think. He's got something else in mind. You see, love within a boundary is kind of free. <laughs> it doesn't cost me anything to love my mate Steve. It's the easiest thing for me to do. But that's, I think Jesus is calling us to something more than that. 
we go back to that chapter in um, Leviticus 19, that's in a section that talks about how we can love our neighbors. And, and there's a section there that says, if you're, if you're um, harvesting your field, and you're gathering up all your crops. Don't gather the bits around the edge. Don't go back and sort of pick up the bits that are left over. Leave those in the field. Why? So that the poor and the sojourner can, can gather those themselves. Poor people, people that have got no money, can't otherwise eat. Sojourner, people that are not uh, sort of like um, no fixed abode. They're not in your tribe. These people are not in your tribe. And you could go back and make a bit more money by gathering all that stuff and having it for yourself. No, leave that for those people because the kind of love Jesus is calling us to is costly in that respect. It's going to cost us in all sorts of different ways. I love verse, in, in this section we're looking at, verse 45, it says, um, we've, we've, we've had a look at this already, he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends the rain on the just and the unjust. Do you see how God models that? He's pouring out his love on all of us. His provision is for the good people and the evil people. That's, that, that's how, he doesn't have boundaries. He doesn't put up boundaries. He doesn't acknowledge boundaries when he loves us. He just blesses us and blesses us. When we learn from this that even those most unlike us are to be treated as our close friends, that's a bit of a game changer, I think. The Bible says, love your neighbor, even if your neighbor is in a different social grouping from you, whatever that means. Strangers, sojourners, non-Jews, even if it's deeply costly. As the strong care for the needs of the weak. That's what it's saying. That's the kind of love God puts in our hearts. That's the kind of love that God demonstrates to us. That's the kind of love God wants us to, to exercise and model. You've got more than enough. Let them live on you, is what God's saying. Let, let, let other people benefit from, from the blessings that you've had. I'm going to take a bit of a, a, a sidebar here. It might take us a little moment over. I, when I was preparing this, I just thought about the um, abortion situation in Ireland. Um, it's kind of not in my notes really, but we were in Ireland, Southern Ireland, a few weeks ago, they were just getting ready for their referendum and now Northern Ireland, it's all kicking off there and Sinn Féin had that thing yesterday. And you just gotta think, you know, God wants the strong to look after the weak. And there was that um, verse from Proverbs 31, I can't quite remember it, that was on the slides, saying a similar thing. You know, is there a, is there a starker picture of the strong looking after the weak than a mother looking after the baby in her womb? You just think, my goodness, my goodness. There's strong, empowered people talking about human rights and they're just dispatching babies out of the womb just because it's not convenient. There was that big debate, um, and I've, uh, I'm going off piste here now, but there was that big debate a few years ago when it was discovered that some people have bought babies because they're girls and that's just an outrage because you think, my, well, that's awful, really. Um, so um, I guess the message from that, and what you were reading in the papers was, it's okay to abort a baby because it's not convenient. Um, it's okay to abort a baby because I can't be bothered. It's okay to abort a baby because I've got to think of my career. It's okay to abort a baby because I can't even remember who the father was. It's an outrage to abort a baby because it's a girl. I can't, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't, there's no logic in that argument. 
and yet the newspapers were tripping over themselves to be outraged because we're aborting girls while trying to say these aren't people. You, know, you, can't, you can't make that argument. That's kind of where we are at the moment with the, with the whole abortion debate. And I just think, you know, how would God approach this? Well, you know, the weak have got to be cared for by the strong. Babies in the womb have got to be cared for by mothers. And, um, you know, I just, it just kind of, as a sidebar thing, that just leapt out while I was preparing this. Yeah, I, I just, you know, that's an area that needs our prayer and our wisdom and, our, and, and, and God's love. And I know I'm touching all kinds of nerves there. So if, if that's hurting in any way for you, you know, please do grab somebody afterwards. We'll have a little prayer team at the front. If you need to get some prayer for that, you need to talk to somebody about that. That would be fantastic. But um, you know, God's got a love for you and this, the church should have a love for you that really um, helps you in those situations. So back on track. Um, so we're talking about different types of people. Um, I think it's worth saying distinctions will always exist. There are always going to be people that are different types from us. It's not calling everybody to look the same and be the same, and then we can all be nice to each other. We've got to acknowledge distinctions, but that can't determine the way we love people. We can't love this type of person better than this type of person, this tribe better than this tribe. That's not what Jesus is calling us to. Jesus' disciples were amazingly diverse as a set of people. They were the zealots, tax collectors, Roman antagonists, Roman supporters, academics, fishermen, educated people, uneducated people. His followers were, were probably even more diverse. There were women, there were children, there were prostitutes, there were tax collectors, all, I mean, all, all, all sorts of people. That's a group of people that naturally doesn't belong together. That's not a homogenous group. That's not a tribe, really, because what have they got in common? And likewise, the church should really be a similar mix. You'd expect the church to be a similar mix. Distinctions not being obliterated, but distinctions not determining how we love each other, not determining how we relate to one another. There's a bit of a school of thought, you read it in some of the Christian books, where some church leaders go, right, I'm going to figure out the demographic of my local town, and then I'm going to design my marketing strategy to go for those guys. So, you know, what would it be in Kingston? It's like, I don't know, it's a couple maybe, maybe they've got a child or two, they're probably not married, they maybe rent, they've probably got an Audi, you know, they work in the city, I don't know, they have childcare, you know, you make it up. But, you know, hey, how can we design our marketing strategy to go for those guys? And you can see what the heart is. You know, people want to grow their church. But I, 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 don't, I don't think that's the gospel message, really. I don't think, like, segregation and market target those people is really what we're called to. I think we're called to create a community that is irrational in human terms, that's not homogenous. Let's not be that one-size-fits-all identikit church. Let's instead be a church that reflects the boundary-breaking love of God. John 13, 35 says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That should be, that should be the defining characteristic. It shouldn't be that you walk in, hey, there's a young church here, these guys are all young, I fit right in here. Well, clearly I don't, but you know, these guys are all Liverpool supporters. You know, I, oh. No, let's not, let's not build a church like that. Let's say, hey, these guys all love Jesus. Oh, fantastic. That's where I fit in. Amazing. It's what Jesus had in mind when he said, love your neighbor. Love that crosses boundaries from friend over to enemy, from persecuted to persecutor, from good to bad, from just to unjust. Galatians 3, it says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, 
There's no male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Again, that does not say those distinctions don't exist. Clearly, there are men and there are women. There are people of one national identity, there are people of another national identity. But they're all one in Christ, is what it says. What they have in common is that, is that love for Jesus. They've accepted Jesus' love in their lives. So people should walk into church and see a supernatural, surprising love between a completely illogical cross-section of people. You should walk in and see, you know, the investment banker talking to the homeless guy, doing life with the single mother, with the child with emotional needs, with, you know, you name it, with the Liverpool supporter, with whatever it is. You know, it should just be, it should just be that healthy cross-section of people. So, we looked at Jesus' love is, is supernatural, God's love is supernatural. And I'd say, what's, your, what's the source of your love? Is it, is it supernatural, or is it just kind of the, extraordinary, is the, the ordinary love that you kind of arrived with? Is it the love that God's put in your heart? And thinking about boundaries, you know, God's love is without boundaries. Challenge, is your love without boundaries? Next point I want to make is, God's love is proactive. God's love's proactive, what do I mean by that? Well, I think for most of us, um, we find our love emerges in, in the right conditions. Our love blossoms and grows in the right conditions. What do I mean by that? Um, well, we, we naturally tend to love people when they meet certain criteria. You know, it's kind of like my relationship with Steve. You know, introduce me to somebody who ticks this box and this box and this box and this box and this box. Go, hey, we've got a lot in common here. You know, nice guy, friendly guy, you know, a bit like me. Fantastic. I, you know, there's a bunch of conditions. So in that sense, my love is conditional. And it tends to, it tends to flow towards people that meet those certain criteria. It's a response to the right environment, the right circumstances, the right people, how I'm feeling. It's a, it's a, my love is a response. So to that extent, it's a reaction to my feelings. I feel good, I feel warm to somebody, I react. It's a good chance we're going we're gonna to have a friendship. My love is reactive. That's my tendency, our tendency in love is to be reactive, I think. When Jesus says, Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Enemies, those who persecute you. My reaction, that is, you know, it's like it's the fight or flight thing. <laughs> my natural reaction, my tendency is, get away from those people. Jesus says, love these people. So if I just, if I just react, then that's different from that proactive love that Jesus has. If I react, I'm going to put some distance between me and I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm going I'm to step away. That's a difficult situation. Jesus says, let's love these people. So the fact is you don't need to meet certain criteria to receive the love of God. You don't, we all receive the love of God right now. We're all receiving the love of God now. Beginning of Hebrews, Hebrews 1.3, it says of Jesus, it says this, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That breath you just take, took, that beat of your heart, 
only happened because Jesus is upholding you right now. So you're experiencing the love of Jesus right now. And you know, if you're a Christian, before you were ever a Christian, you were experiencing the love of Jesus. The fact that you were just ticking along. You're experiencing the love of Jesus. You don't need to meet certain criteria to be loved by God. And therefore, you shouldn't need to meet certain criteria to be loved by a child of God. Does that make sense? Love your enemies, love your persecutors, love the evil, love the unjust. Some people towards whom I'm not gonna feel love, I'm not gonna feel like I want to, some people I'm gonna feel fearful about. 1 John 4 says there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Well-known verse. So what's happening there? Love is dictating towards my feelings. I have a choice. Either I let my feelings dictate towards whether I love or not, or I let love dictate to my feelings. And if I go the reactive route, which is what I'm naturally tending to do, I go, oh, I feel a bit fearful here. I'm gonna, I, I don't feel drawn to that person. I don't feel like having a friendship with that person. Then my love is being dictated to by my feelings. And Jesus would go, no, no. Let's love those who persecute us. Let's love first. And, and that verse says, love casts out fear. Love is gonna drive my emotions. Love's gonna change my emotions. Love can dictate to my emotions. And that's the sense in which I mean, Jesus' love is proactive. It, it, it doesn't need for my emotions to kick in first before I love somebody. I can love somebody proactively and I can have that love dictate to my emotions. So it's not just a natural love, nor is it just a love that goes through the motions, where it's, we're just, it's, there's, there's that, that famous um, scripture in 1 Corinthians that we've all heard at weddings. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I give all I have away and I deliver up my body to be burned, have not love, I gain nothing. So it's not that kind of religious activity where I'm just going through the motions, you know, I'm, I'm being nice to people, I'm trying to love people because that's what Jesus says. No, no, no. There's a love in there that Jesus expects us to have. There's a new heart that you've been given as a Christian. So there's a, there's a, there's a response to that. There's a, you go, I've got a new heart, I'm gonna love this person. And hey, guess what? That's gonna dictate to my feelings. Which is incredibly powerful. You've gotta choose that. It's an active choice on, on your part. It's not a natural reaction on your part. So, God's love is supernatural. God loves without boundaries. God's love is proactive. And then just one more of these points. I wanted to talk about God's love being faithful. I was in the pub. It sounds like I spent a lot of time in the pub, doesn't it? I was in the pub the other day uh, with some chaps from work, two guys, and um, one of them's married, one of them is getting married, and we were talking about this, this, uh, the guy who's engaged, talking about his wedding. He was going, man, it's so expensive. Getting married is so expensive these days. And we talked about it, and he said, it's not too bad. And, and he and his wife both work in the city. They've both got you know, expensive jobs. And um, he's going, yeah, really expensive. Um, it's not too bad, though, because uh, well, most of the guests are hers. It's her family and friends. So, of course, she's paying most of the cost of the wedding. Um, and I, I wasn't familiar with this concept. Um, and I said, oh, what is that then? How does that work? <laughs> you got tickets or something for your wedding? How does... Um, and he said, oh, so she's got more friends, so she's gonna pay. I said, does it really matter? Because you're gonna get married. And then, you know, whatever's hers is yours, whatever's yours, it doesn't really matter, does it? Oh, no, because we're not gonna do that. We're not gonna put all our money together. 
I said, oh, you know, all right. And the guy who was married already said, no, no, we don't do that. I, I work hard at my job. I want to see the fruit of my labors. So the, I, we put some money in together for the bills and the mortgage and what have you. But if I want a new pair of shoes, I'm going to, you know, I'm, if I want a new motorbike, I'm going to, well, okay. I said, uh, and it clearly wasn't kind of sitting with me. And, they, and these guys know I'm a Christian. They said, well, you see, we're not religious. So, you know, we've got to, got to think about what if our marriage doesn't work. You know, what if we need to walk away? It's, uh, I'm like, crumbs. So you know, before you're even getting married, you've got a, you've got a get out clause, you've got a contingency plan. Um, and I, I said, well, you know, look, in the, in the Bible, the marriage is just a picture of Jesus' love for the church, which is, it's a covenant relationship. It's a promise. Um, you know, so we, we kind of talked around that. It was a really good conversation. Um, I don't know what happened as a result of that. But a desperately sad conversation, really. And, and the guy who's married already, his wife's pregnant. They're bringing a child into this kind of relationship where well, we, we're your parents at the moment, but hey, you know, watch this space. I just think, wow, really sad. People talk about this um, commitment deficit that you see in society increasingly these days. And I think, you know, um, these apps on your phone where you can go, I've got a spare couple of hours, I think I'll just find a complete stranger and have sex. Because that's apparently how it works. You think there's a commitment deficit in society. And, um, you know, that's just, it's abhorrent, isn't it, really? And I wonder if people are afraid of commitment because it's costly. Um, you know, you don't want to fall in love because you might get committed with somebody, so I'll just have a physical relationship and then dump them. Um, it's just, you know, that lack of faithfulness um, is, is just really, is really sad, isn't it? It's really depressing. That verse again in Matthew 5, 45, he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the just and the unjust. You see what's happening here is God is going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to provide for your needs today, because you know today it's raining, and yesterday the sun shone, and then tomorrow, who knows, I'm gonna provide for your needs tomorrow, and then the next day I'm gonna provide for your needs, and the next day I'm gonna provide for your needs. And God is never gonna stop doing that with any one of us. You know, he's always gonna be providing for our needs, that's what he does, he pours his love on us, day by day by day. It's like clockwork, you don't need to go, oh, I wonder if I'm gonna have enough to eat today, because God's looking, blessing you and caring for you, and okay, not everybody on earth has enough to eat every day, I get it, but God's love is not running out, it's faithful. It comes every day, his love, run, his love just is perpetual. I love that verse in Lamentations, Lamentations 3, very well-known verse. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You're lying in bed, and God is plotting and scheming what new blessings he can give you in the morning. New blessings in the morning. He's, he just loves to bless you and, and keep you. He's sustaining. That's a picture of faithfulness for me. God's love is faithful. Christy read out during the worship. I was so thrilled. I didn't know you were going to read this, Christy. Um, Romans 8, it says, For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And is that a picture of faithfulness or what? That's how God loves us. Nothing is going to separate us from that love. That's faithful love, isn't it? God's not going to go off us. He's not going to find um, a more attractive bride, a younger bride. He's not going to do that. So what a wonderful picture for us of what faithful love should look like. 
So God's love is supernatural, it's boundless, it's proactive, and it's faithful, which is all good, and I should, I should wrap this up. But we just go back to verse 20, it says, we need to, our righteousness needs to exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. Our, um, we must be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. And you go, how am I gonna do that? I've just seen what, how amazing God's love is. How am I gonna do that? That's his expectation of us. How am I gonna do that? Well, the fact is, only, you can only love like Christ when you've received the love of Christ. You can never flourish the way God intended. You can never fully experience God's love. You can never love the way God intended until you open up your heart to Jesus. That's how we grow up in love. So, how do we do that? Well, we come to Jesus. We say to Jesus, I belong to you. We say, I want you to be Lord of my life and direct my life. I want to obey you. We say, I want you to be my savior. Save me from my sin. Save me from death. You receive the righteousness that's your free gift in that outrageous transaction. And you say, God, give me your Holy Spirit. And then that supernatural fruit of the Spirit, that love, is yours. So perhaps Jamie can come back and... um, Christy, and um, be great to worship. And just as these guys are getting ready, I think I, a number of things just on my heart, just very quickly. I think it would be great just to thank God for his love. Um, it's just, you know, blows me away, really. God's love, astonishing. If you're already a Christian, thank you for the righteousness that's yours in Jesus in that, in that transaction we talked about. If you're a Christian, why don't you ask God to say, oh God, would you fill me with the Holy Spirit again? I want more of your Holy Spirit again. If you're not a Christian and you want to know that amazing love poured out on your life of God, or similarly, if you want to have that love in your life and be able to love people the way God says you need to love people, it would be wonderful to be able to chat to you and and, and pray with you today. That would be great. Um, I'm going to be sat just there and there'll be other people down the front that would love to pray with you. So maybe we can can do that afterwards. But don't leave here today with these kind of loose ends. And if that's stuff about abortion that I went off on, if that's that's hurting for you, then, you know, again, I'd love to pray about that or maybe Belinda or one of the the women. If if, if there's stuff about fatherhood today that's touching a nerve, as um, folks have said as as we've been praying, be wonderful to pray about that as well. Let me just pray very quickly and then um, hand it over to you guys. Lord, we just want to thank you for your love to us. You are an amazing God. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for, we're the recipients of this supernatural, boundless, proactive, faithful love, Lord. We, We love you, Lord. We love you. We love you, God. Amen.